Yo, so uh, this debate took place Super Bowl Sunday, uh, back in February, the beginning of February. Uh, you know, people have been asking me, it's like, yo, is there audio, is there video of this debate? And I think I was finally able to get up with uh, somebody that was in attendance who had actually recorded the entire thing from her phone. I tried to uh, clean it up a little bit, make it so that you can hear it a little bit better. But I wanted to put that out to the people so that they could really be informed and uh, know everything that there is to know about the candidates leading up into the March 17th primary election. Um, everybody is always thinking about, you know, the presidential candidates, but you know, Congress, that's where the real impact and stuff really gets made. And we have a representative that leaves this district, goes to D.C., and is supposed to represent the voices and the opinions of this district. And um, for the first time in almost a decade, maybe even over a decade, we have a primary challenger for the incumbent seat. Um, that means that, you know, Morgan Harper, she is challenging Joyce Beatty, Joyce Beatty being the person that has been in office uh, for as long as most people can remember uh, saying basically that, you know, I think that I can do this job better. Um, I'm going to let them represent the, the way that they feel about uh, why they think that they're the best person for the job. Uh, but what I will say is that afterwards, you know, ETC went down to Morgan Harper's campaign office and we had a sit down conversation with her and kind of just broke down the different elements of the debate. Um, you can search through the podcast feed and you can listen to those and uh yeah it's really good conversation so make sure you go out and vote no matter what though march 17th uh yeah that's it enjoy of the american dream thank you um i have a follow-up question for both of you uh i'll start with representative Beatty. if the democrats do not have a veto-proof senate how would you go about passing legislation to legislation to address your stated priorities? Well, certainly, as everyone knows now, the process. We are in the majority right now, so we've been able, with my priorities, to pass them in committee, to pass them on the House floor. The only way we would be able to pass them is to have some bipartisan legislation. Let me make it very clear. If we don't practice civility, if we don't come together, and if you, the constituents, don't help us fight for what we want, you can do the math. It would be very difficult for us to veto something when you don't have the numbers. But the number one key is getting registered and voting. We can tell you that this year we slit, we were able to take back almost 40 Republican districts that people said we could never do it. Thank you and very that's much. Because, let me just finish this. And that's because I was able to help many of those candidates across the country in their races to win so we can do the same thing we did in my second year there, and that's elect a Democratic president like we did with Barack Obama. Candidate Harper, I have the same question. And please listen carefully. If the Democrats do not have a veto-proof Senate, how would you go about passing legislation to address your stated priorities? The reason why we don't see more action that actually has an impact on your life here in the third district coming out of Washington is because we have people on both sides of the aisle that are corrupted by corporate money and that have no incentive to change the status quo. And it is a systemic issue that has been holding our government hostage for more than a generation. And so how do we change that? 
We only elect candidates that are saying they are not going to accept corporate money. And we also call people out who are willing to let our babies die instead of giving people health care. And if it doesn't change in a day, we call it out the next day. And if it doesn't change after that, we keep calling it out until we are able to live stable and healthy lives in our community. Thank you. Um, I'm going to go on to the next question. We are going to alternate who answers first. So, candidate Harper, the next question is, our country's income gap has been ever widening for the past few decades. What should Congress do to address this widening inequality? The inequality that we're seeing, that the economic segregation, that people aren't earning enough money to live, that has only gotten worse over the course of my lifetime, is unacceptable. And we're seeing it right here in the third district. That we have, while well, in the midst of Columbus is booming, the economy is growing, unemployment is low, that we have over 20% of people living in our community that are living in poverty. That we have over 30% of black people that are living in our community that are living in poverty. And that we have over 50% of children that are living in poverty. What are we going to do about it? We're going to be real about giving people economic opportunity. Making sure that they have jobs that are paying enough to live. We are going to make sure that you're not going into debt because you get sick. We know what we need to do. We need to fight to get it done. Representative Beatty, our country's income gap has been ever widening for the past few decades. What should Congress do to address this widening inequality? Let me answer this by telling you that when you look at it, all the statistics we've heard are true. And when we think about how you have to change that, it starts with the Federal Reserve. It is the Federal Reserve that puts together all of the data that then sets the policies for the dollars that come back here. Unfortunately, in this community and other communities, if you don't have policies that equal dollars, it doesn't come back. So what have I done? I've stood up for equal pay for equal women. I have stood up for when women succeed, America succeeds. I have stood up to the President of the United States that was a Democrat and voted against him to make sure that I voted on a labor bill so we could have collective bargaining. Because if we don't put money back into the communities, if we don't deal with how, all of us take monies when we're running. So when I look at people who are out there with some of the largest corporations taking money from those presidents and CEOs, when I look at people who aren't even elected and they have pages and pages of dollars coming from those corporations and those presidents and CEOs in New York and California and not people who are making an investment in this, we have to be a little fair when we look at it. It's on both sides of us, whether it is my opponent, whether it is me, pages and pages from corporate, from law, corporate law firms that represent President Trump, that represent some of the biggest banking financial institutions in this country that causes us to have one in five of our babies going to bed hungry, children dying, people being homeless, I have written some of the most progressive language. This, a first 
two-term person in the majority, a powerful chairwoman. I have a track record. I have been in this community. Let me get a little bit of a follow-up question, and I will start with Representative Beatty. Um, what about wealth inequality? Are there solutions to address this inequality? Oh, absolutely. We have to look at how do we narrow the gap. So let me just tell you, I serve as the powerful chairwoman on diversity and inclusion. And I said to some of the most powerful people in the country, we have to stop using the term minority supplier and being happy with a small contract. We have to go to the top and say, who's managing your pension funds? Who's managing your asset managers? And we need to make sure that women and minorities and African Americans are getting those contracts. That's the only way if you start at the top and you bring it down and you put more of us in the room and more of us getting those larger jobs and monies, we bring it back home. Thank you. Candidate Harper, uh, same follow-up question. What about wealth inequality? Are there solutions to address this inequality? One of the biggest issues around wealth inequality that I'm concerned about is the racial wealth gap. The fact that black people have been living in this country for 400 years and we are projected to have zero wealth by 2053. Compared to the average white family that has $132,000 of net wealth. And we are seeing that here in central Ohio. It is playing out and prevents people from lower class, middle class, even upper class levels of being as far ahead as they could be. And we are going to change that through systemic reparations. Thank you. Next question, uh, Representative Beatty. What is your position on the minimum wage? We're sorry, going back to in income inequality again, and how will you advocate for your position? Let me just say, this is not a political answer. I've been out here marching and in the movement for a livable wage for a long time. I woke up this morning and saw this picture of the deceased Stephanie Tubbs Jones. This is way before I was in politics. And I'm so proud that I'm standing next to her, carrying a sign with one of the most progressive groups out there, saying, we need to make minimum wage a living wage, because I know what it's like. I lived in a household where sometimes there were nine people growing up in eight pieces of chicken. And I always got a piece of chicken, and that's what gives me the passion to fight here today, because it is about black people, and it is about those living in the majorities, because we look at the disparities, and we know that. So serving on the DNI committee is all about making the least of us be in the forefront, having a livable wage. We know right here in this district, we're voting for $15 an hour, and we know it takes $18.70. We know this because when I first went to Washington, I did a national tour. You know where it ended? Right here at the State House. When women succeed, America succeeds. When President Obama did his second State of the Union, he talked about opportunities for all. There wasn't anything in there about women. And he changed that because this little congresswoman went up to him and talked about how we help minorities, how we help women, and how we help people who look like me. I can tell you, my father, a construction worker, my mother didn't enter a college door 
until all four of her children had graduated. I know what it's like to live a rough life, but I also know if we stand together and if we unite and we put everything together, then we can really make a difference because we must. If we're going to talk about reparations, if we're going to talk about systemic change, we can't do this by fighting. We Thank have you. to come together. Candidate Harper, what is your position on the minimum wage and how will you advocate for your position? And um, I believe Representative Beatty indicated what she thought the amount should be, so we'd like to hear that from you as well. I agree that people are not earning enough money to live. And through grassroots organizing, we have applied pressure on our existing status quo in Washington to finally wake up to that fact, but they're too late. Because they're at $15 an hour, and we know that we need to be making over $20 an hour to be living a stable life in our community. I have met so many people while campaigning that are experiencing this every single day. I met a woman on Barnett, near where I grew up, who said, you know, I got this great job at a call center. It's paying me $12 an hour. It takes me 40 minutes to get there, and they're deducting $150 every two weeks for my health care premium. What am I left with? Nothing. Living with my mother. No ability to get ahead. This is not okay. And this is not going to be the environment where we create stable communities to support individuals and families. I am backing the Green New Deal, which would include a job guarantee and create living wage jobs for people over $20 an hour that would enable us to build out public transportation, reduce our carbon emissions, and make sure that we have a planet that is inhabitable for generations moving forward. Thank you. Um, next question. Uh, goes to Candidate Harper. Think about how we had done this. Um, what can you do to bring about housing affordability in District 3? And then also, what would be your definition of affordable? Right now, it is becoming increasingly difficult for people to access housing at the wages that are being paid. I was working at a housing organization before launching this campaign, and the dynamics that we're seeing here locally are the same ones playing out nationally, that housing costs have increased and wages have not kept up. I met a man before even launching this campaign at, at the North Linden Area Commission, an elderly man who was talking about the fact that he's earning enough money to pay $400 a month in rent, but everything that they keep building that's called affordable is at eight or $900 a month. A senior that is facing the, the reality that he's not going to be able to have a home for the end of his life. Not okay. We are seeing our communities getting gentrified and people displaced because we have been sold out to corporate interests who do not care about making sure that people have a home. And so how do we get to that goal of everybody in our community being able to have a home? We build more housing. Federal government used to do it. Build it. Make it mixed income. Make sure everyone has access. And also we need to stabilize rents now that we have seen more and more people in our community becoming renters and having no predictability around their housing costs. National rent stabilization will get us there. I will introduce legislation to get that done. Thank you. Representative Beatty? 
What can you do to bring more housing affordability to District 3? And what would be your definition of affordable? Let me just share this. I spent most of my professional life working in housing or being a consultant for public housing. Moving more people out of public housing and putting a roof over their heads, whether it was through sec Section 8. Not while I was campaigning out talking to people, but while I was serving in the community, volunteering in this community. Because you see, I've been here. I know all parts of this. I've sat on more boards, whether it was in the Linden Center, whether it was St. Stephen, meeting with real people, not giving them a piece of campaign literature, not making them promises about what I was going to do. Let me tell you what I've done. The GROW Act, which allows us to grow resources and opportunities within affordable housing. Let me tell you one of the greatest pieces of legislation that one of my colleagues presented and I signed on to the other day. It's given $80 billion for public housing agency for every year through 2030. So we can make sure that we have 9.5 million new housing units across this wonderful America. Let me just tell you, if you take a look at 1100, when you leave, you leave here, drive by 1100 East Broad Street, and look at what my work has done in public housing for seniors. We have to talk about our babies and, the, and our seniors. Go by Worley Terrace and look at how wonderful it looks and how is housing the least of us. When we think about developers, my answer is make them have a floating price. When they get that big contract, then what we need is mixed use. They need to build a building downtown. People can't even afford to live downtown. Some can, but what I'm saying to you, most can't. So we need to make sure that we put those structures in. I don't have a problem with rent stabilization, but we're not in New York. We're in Columbus, Ohio. So let's hold the developers and the builders to be on our side to work together so it becomes a win-win for all of us. Thank you. Next question, Representative Beatty. How are you addressing and how will you address the economic needs of lower income constituents? From what we've heard so far, it sounds like there are quite a few of them. As you know, I worked in public housing. I was a small business owner. So when we think about the economic needs for our constituents, this has been a passion of mine for a long time. So when I was a state representative, I went out into all of the communities and I worked with them. And one of the things we need to do is bring it back. We've talked a lot about housing, so let's talk about how we do it through healthcare. Let's talk about how we raise the wage. And sure, whether it's $18 or $20, we still need to do more than that. There are people in this audience that live paycheck to paycheck and they make more than $18 or $20 an hour. We know we need to expand Medicare coverage. We need to make sure that we protect Social Security because so often we don't talk about our seniors and they are, are a part of that lower income constituents. I have an open door. People come in and tell me things that they want. Let me give you one quick example. We had a community forum with more people than is in this room. 
And one of the things they talked about was individuals losing, losing their homes because they can't pay their property tax. 30% of the people who live in this district can't afford the property tax. I didn't just give them the statistics. You know what I did? I wrote a letter to the governor, to the auditor, to the treasurer, to the mayor, to the city council people, to the county commissioners. And now you know what we have? We are in the process of having a tax exemption for those seniors who've been living in their homes. And yes, because of gentrification, their prices went up. We're keeping it stable for them. That's real action, not giving you statistics, not quoting. When you haven't even been here, other than on a campaign mission to talk to people. I talk to people because I care about them, because I'm fighting for the people, not because I'm running for office. Thank you very much. Um, candidate Harper, and then I'm going to have a follow-up question. Um, how are you addressing and how will you address the economic needs of lower income constituents? We know that more and more people in our community are finding it difficult to get by. Like I said, the existing jobs and the jobs that are being created, they're at wages that are much lower than the cost of living. And even folks who are middle class are seeing that reality, that through childcare expenses, through medical care expenses, you're not able to get by. And in my time at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, we saw the aftermath of this issue firsthand that when you don't have enough money, you're much more vulnerable to be taken advantage of by predatory lenders like payday lenders, um, get into loans that are unaffordable, that will trap you in debt, and put you into vulnerable positions that compromise your housing, for example. And so the answer there, and my takeaway from my time at the Bureau was, people need more money. It's not happening. People aren't earning enough to live. And so that is why I am backing jobs, creating jobs that will pay more to live and pay at living wages. Thank you. My follow-up question, uh, Representative Beatty, I will ask you first. You mentioned um, senior exemption from property tax. I believe that's been around for a while, so is your sense that that will be increased? Because it's not particularly large as an exemption. Well, no, what we're saying is a little different. Let me um, okay. kind of modify what you said. What's been around was also taken away. Several years ago, they did have in Ohio, and we benefited from one strictly by age. What we're saying is, if you're in a neighborhood and it has been gentrified through gentrification, then you would automatically qualify. And that's a little different than what we have on the books that was also taken away. Thank you. Uh, candidate Harper, do you have anything to say about a senior exemption for property tax? No, I've been talking about that since the campaign. This is one of the ideas that we've been discussing as part of a systemic reparations package, that we would waive property taxes for people who are in formerly redlined communities. Seniors should not be displaced from their homes because they've lived through a period of disinvestment and now are finding the opportunity to actually have an asset that's raising in value through the, the growing housing market. Thank you. Next question, first to candidate Harper. There's a growing immigrant population in District 3. Please address your approach to... I think I just... Okay, I got, I'm back on again to resolving the following issues. Immigration laws, economic security for these people, and racism. We have a person in charge of our country right now who has a racist 
and hate an agenda of hatred that is targeting immigrants throughout our community. As someone who was raised by an immigrant and knows firsthand that experience of what it is to learn about a new culture, find your way in it, not have your family nearby to support you, uh, this is a particularly sensitive issue for me. And this is not just an issue that's happening at the border. This is happening right here in central Ohio. Our community members who are a target of this agenda. Edith Espinal, who has been living in sanctuary on the north side for over two years now, the second day that we launched this campaign, she received a $500,000 fine from ICE. Someone who was brought as a minor, raised her family, living her, her life and working and contributing to her community, then became a target of this administration. And so, I stood up for her since day one. I, through putting more pressure on her, we actually incentivized my opponent to finally meet and introduce legislation that would do something about her predicament. And we need to be a champion on these issues and fight back against administration that is trying to prevent people from being part of our communities, immigrants who are the fabric of what makes up and part of what makes Central Ohio so special. Thank you. There is, there are no in the audience, I'm sorry. Um, Representative Beatty, there is a growing immigrant So I don't know who's in charge of the mic, but I keep going out for some reason. Uh, there is a growing immigration population in District 3. Please address your approach to resolving the following issues. Immigration laws, economic security for these people, and racism. S certainly. I, I have two quick examples I want to give you, but first I just want to make a correction because my opponent is just wrong. First of all, this started far before she came out and did what she did. Edith Espinal's case first went viral, and we got a letter in my congressional office at the same time the two senators did. And that was exactly about six months before what my candidate opponent just said. So we met with Edith Espinal's husband in my third congressional office and let him bring 15 people with him, an interpreter, and people who supported, and many immigrants. We then also wrote letters when other elected officials did. We also talked with her minister. We also consulted with the judiciary. We put her case before the Congress. And we wanted to be very careful because understand, while she is in sanctuary, and we have a president and a ISIS that I want to do away with, we were afraid for her because just because she was in that sanctuary did not mean that they could not come in there and take her away and take her back home. Now this is where experience comes in and knowledge comes in. So I consulted with the laws. We need immigration reform, that's for sure. We then went back out. Now I'll fast forward for time, because the day my opponent left out something. I was on the stage, she was in the audience passing out campaign literature, when we were fighting for Edith and I went inside and met with her. Now, I did file a private bill for her after we got the majority, because the, when we were in the minority, they told us they would not do one thing for her. I have written, put it before the House Congress for her. I received a nice painting from Edith and a wonderful letter saying to me, thank you for visiting me, thank you for standing up for me. And I hope I have enough time to tell you an immigrant 
Kay called me four days ago at 10 o'clock at night because she didn't have a green card. Her father and brother Thank had you, just been killed Dave. in Africa, and I got her there. Thank you, Representative. <laughs> Let me follow up, uh, because I don't think either of you addressed the issue of economic security for immigrants. So, um, candidate Harper, could you address that first, please? It's interesting because a lot of times, and this is what's so great about this forum actually, is that we have a lot of people from different cross-sections of the community coming together and learning about what are the issues that we're facing. And that's been a, a really important part of this campaign is meeting with and hearing from the people that make up the 11% of this district that is foreign born, that are immigrants people from the Somali community, from the Nepali and Bhutanese community. Uh, it's, it's, what's striking is the folks mention the same things that all of us are seeing. We all have a lot more in common than we realize that they too are facing the need to address violence that is happening in their communities. Worried about young people who don't have access to training that is affordable, that will lead to jobs that are paying enough to live. And so how we ensure the economic security of immigrants is the same way that we ensure economic security of all of us. Thank you. Healthcare, jobs, homes, and paying enough for these things that people actually can lead a stable life. Thank you. Representative Beatty, how would you address the, once again, please withhold your applause. You'll all get to applaud at the end, I promise. Um, how would you address economic security for immigrants? Let me answer the question. Economic security. So let me give you several ways. There's something called the International Monetary Fund, which prevents, as we talked about, we have the second largest Somali community in a country next to Minnesota. And so when I was meeting with my Somali brothers and sisters, we also realized that it was the lack of being able to communicate in the financial world. So we brought, I paid for and brought Somali residents to come and took them before the International Monetary Committee so they could understand how they needed to send monies back home, how they needed to bank their money. I actually Thank changed you. the language from English to Somali at one of the banks before I was in the United States Congress. Thank you. Next question, this one will start with Representative Beatty. What should or can we do to curtail human trafficking in this area? This is a huge area. And while I'm glad that you asked me this question, it's one that's very emotional. When you think about our 11 and 14 year olds and all of the women and a few young boys are being trafficked, it is the second largest crime that we're having next to drug trafficking. So I went across this state and the country and met with some of the top leaders. I partnered with a state senator on writing drug trafficking laws that actually passed the Senate, even though we, the veto-proof question, working together and got it signed into law to no longer make them criminals, but to make them victims. It was my piece of legislation that gives you the human trafficking phone number if you see something, say something. It's my bill that's in a package with eight Republicans' bills, and I'm the only Democrat because I knew 
This isn't about politics. This is about people. And we have it right here because we have a highway that goes from Toledo to Ohio, from, through all of Ohio, and we're near areas and highways where they pick young girls and a few boys up. So we need to keep fighting for justice. We need to work together to make sure that we work towards not only legislation, but getting the community more involved. If you see something, say something, and not fighting against each other, but fighting with each other, or working with each other. Thank you. Ken Harper, what should or can we do to curtail human trafficking in this area? I believe we have to be honest about the vulnerability that folks are experiencing in a lot of our communities. That due to a generation in certain neighborhoods that have been over-policed, that have been addicted to various substances that have left young people traumatized, we are in a very serious situation and it has left people vulnerable and then more likely to get connected to trafficking. And so we have to really start to be very serious about bringing big resources to our communities that are gonna stabilize people's lives and ensure that they don't get vulnerable in the first place, that you don't need to wait to go through a trafficking experience to be able to get federal support to get a home. I want you to have a home before you even get to that position and that's what we're gonna do in Washington. Thank you. Next question, candidate Harper. What do you think would be the optimal health care system for the country, and why? Everyone in our community deserves to have health care. And actually, let's take a second. Who here thinks they're spending too much on health care? It's one of the most common things that I'm hearing throughout the district, and I personally have experienced it as well, even when insured. And it's why I'm meeting people like a couple I met in Linden, who the husband had one medical emergency, it caused him to miss work, he lost his job, and then from the stress of taking care of him, his wife also lost her job, and they ended up living in a tent. These are the stories that are happening in our community because we are the only industrialized nation on the planet that doesn't have universal health care. And why? Because we have political leaders that are taking money from the insurance industry and will never have any incentive to change the current system. That is why I am pledging that I will not take money from any corporate PAC, that I will be free to fight and pass Medicare for all so we have universal health care and everyone in our community has health care. No matter who your employer is, no matter your, your situation, everyone deserves to have health care. Thank you. Representative Beatty, what do you think would be the optimal health care system for the country and why? I think the most optical, optimal health care is for everyone to have health care. And let me just tell you, not what I believe, but what I've done. I fought and voted 100 times against President Trump's votes and procedures to take away the Affordable Care Act and Obamacare. I think you start where you are. If you start with Obamacare and you expand it and you fix it, keeping 26-year-olds on their parents' insurance, if we're gonna to talk to the audience, how many people have ever had a pre-existing condition? That means a baby, a cold, or anything. <laughs> Everybody in this room. 
Obamacare allows you to continue to have that pre-existing. It takes care of women's health needs. I've been there. I'm a stroke survivor. If I did not have health care, I would not be sitting here today. So I have written legislation. I have passed that legislation. And here's another part of it. We can go back all you want to how monies come into candidates. That has nothing to do with how we have to keep fighting for seniors and the least of us. But what it does have a lot to do is taking on those insurance companies, and I agree. I don't know if you know this, but we have the highest mortality rate for men related to diabetes. And if you took a look at how much insulin costs for our children and for adults, so what did I do? I went up against the powerful insurance companies. Because see, I didn't work as a powerful lawyer with a company who represented pharma and all the big insurance companies. So we have to be careful when we throw that out. I didn't work for Kravitz as a, a senior associate who worked on those cases like my opponent did. So we have to remember, she is a powerful lawyer and everybody knows I love lawyers, but she worked as an associate at the wealthiest law firm in this country that represented cases with banks, Pharmacy, insurance, and she was associate taking bonuses at the same time. Thank you very much. She worked on those cases. Thank you. Let me do a follow up question. Candidate Harper. No, um, follow up. I'll start with Representative Beatty. Sorry. Um, you said a little bit about how you would implement, uh, but how would you implement what you think is the optimal healthcare system? I think we start with Obamacare, and I think we fix it. And let me tell you why. It helps the young folks when they get off of their parents' insurance. And we know we have disparities. And we know there are so many people, I agree, that are underpaid. And we know it's hard for them to have a roof over their head. We know it's hard for them to have all the needs that we need just to survive. So if we take what we have now, because young people, I have an office where 75% of my folks are in their 20s. They only pay 50 to $95 a month because they're in Obamacare. So Thank you start with there, but you give insurance, you give health insurance Thank to you. everyone. Candidate Harper, how would you implement your plan? Well, first I just want to quickly clarify, because my opponent has mentioned a couple of times the two years I spent at Kervaswin and Moore Law Firm. And I will say that gave me a front row seat to how corporations operate, how they have endless resources to continue to make money, how private equity has spread its reach across this country and decimated many of our business owners. And that is how I have the knowledge to understand how we address these inequalities in these systems that are keeping us back and preventing our economy from work for working for our people. And I will say that healthcare is one of the primary reasons why more people in our community are not able to get ahead. Until we are in the same system and we build coalitions with people who believe with everyone being in the same system to negotiate universal healthcare and pass Medicare for all, Thank you. we will see no change. Thank you. I'm just going to remind Representative Beatty and Candidate Harper when the red card goes up, you need to finish the sentence. I won't have to cut in so often. Next question is for Representative Beatty. Uh, how would you balance the increasingly imminent concerns of climate change 
against the energy needs of the, the economy. This is the multi-part question. Uh, and then the second part is, what are your ideas that would move the country toward that policy, and how can you influence others to see your point of view? First of all, let me just say that our climate crisis in this country is real. Climate change is real in this country. And I have been a strong advocate to do something about that the entire time, despite Donald Trump, despite the Senate. I have an A-plus rating from the League of Conservation Voters. It doesn't get any better than that. You see, because I have a track record. I can tell you what I've done, not making promises. I was one of the early on individuals to sign on the Green New Deal for Public Housing, which is real legislation. We have a lot of legislation that's there, and I am a proponent of all of that. We have resolutions that were created, and I applaud my colleagues who've done that, on the Green New Deal resolution. It's non-binding. So what did I do? I went down and sat with probably the most influential person who sits on my committee, AOC, and said, let's talk about this and what can we do? And she explained to me that she was going to take the resolution and put it into seven powerful pieces of legislation that would help us make sure that we are in a country and in a community that allows us to protect the environment, that allows us to make sure as we look at energy, that we're doing renewable energy, that we are having less fossil fuels. And so I told her I would support her, and the first one we did starts with the least of us. Green New Deal for public housing, because it puts the responsibility back on the government to take care of all those folks that they are putting in housing facilities that aren't safe for them. If you look at the resolution on page 10, most people haven't read it, they just get out here and espouse it. I agree with everything on it. Thank you. Candidate Harper, how would you balance the increasingly imminent concerns of climate change against energy needs of the, of the economy? And then secondly, what are your ideas that would move the country forward toward that policy, and how can you influence others to see your point of view? Well, I am glad my opponent is recognizing the influence that women particularly women who are pledging not to take any corporate PAC money, are having in Washington and leading on addressing the climate crisis. So that is, that is very encouraging to hear. What we have right now is a situation where our political leadership is not addressing the climate crisis because we have a lot of people there who are taking money from the fossil fuel industry. So instead of having leaders that are introducing legislation, that are doing whatever they can over the past 40 years, it has come to the point of children, teenagers, who are telling us that they are no longer gonna wait for us to save their future. In September, we had a climate strike. There was a global climate, climate strike led by youth, and we had one here at the State House, and we saw this reality firsthand, that 15-year-olds are missing school to hold us accountable. And that's why that day I pledged that I will not take money from the fossil fuel industry, and why I am backing the Green New Deal to reduce carbon emissions, save our future, create living wage jobs, and make sure that we have something to talk about in 20 years. Thank you. 
Let me remind again about no applause until the end. Um, so we will now go to the next question, which will be to candidate Harper. How will you protect, well, let me first say, we recently heard President Trump indicate that in spite of his campaign promises, that he was going to start looking at Social Security and Medicaid, and in spite of those promises, he was especially going to start looking at that. So, candidate Harper, how will you protect retirement and other programs that we have paid into to ensure adequate funding is available? I know many in this room paid into this for many, many years. Do you believe we need to strengthen the Social Security program? If so, how would you do so? If not, what's the alternative? We have a lot of seniors in our community that are not able to have enough money as they approach later in life to support their expenses, and it's a major issue. Uh, we have a lot of seniors that are raising grandchildren because their children have become addicted because they aren't earning enough money to live and or have been incarcerated. And so we need to be doing everything we can to protect our seniors. And we also need to address what are the drivers of those costs. So in addition to additional money related to kinship and having to raise grandchildren, medical expenses, even those who are on Medicare, my own mother, you know, she has Medicare, but the pharmaceutical costs, quite expensive. And so we have to address both things. So to me, it's not an either or, it's yes, we should protect Social Security, but we should also make sure that we don't have seniors getting into debt because they're Paying, taking care of their grandchildren because they are guarantors on student loans that their grandchildren have taken out and now they're responsible for and that they're able to pay for their medical care. Thank you. Representative Beatty, how will you protect retirement and other programs that we have paid into to ensure adequate funding is available? Do you believe we need to strengthen the Social Security program? And if so, how would you do so? If not, what is the alternative? I think that we should protect the Social Security plan. When you think about when it was first developed and how many times it's changed over that period of time, what has not changed, the purpose of it was for those individuals who paid into it to be able, in their later years, to be able to have the dollars for all of those things that are safety net, groceries, transportation, housing, and yes, take care of some of their grandchildren or children living at home. I'm not gonna tell you what I think about it. I'm gonna tell you what I've done about it. I'm gonna tell you how many letters, how many times that I have testified, not as an elected official, but as someone who was a constituent like you, because I was fortunate enough to know my grandmother and to have my mother and my father in my house and watch how they struggled. And the only thing they ever talked about was having social security. So I have fought for that well before I knew a lot about social security. I'm fighting for it because when I walk through the streets and when I'm in the neighborhoods, not just with the neighborhoods, but in not just in some of the neighborhoods, but in the neighborhoods where seniors come out. You have to remember, I have probably been involved with every senior facility in this district. Housing seniors, housing veterans. And that's one of their number one things. So let me just tell you, President Trump cannot be trusted. 
And so we need to know that we need to always be on guard and be up front. Because we also know that people talk about how much it's going to cost. Well, remember, we have discretionary and mandatory funding. And it falls within the mandatory funding. So there are a whole lot of things that we can do. We can stop putting money into all these wars. We can do that and have money to come back for Social Security. Thank you. Our next question is to Representative Bailey. What do you think are the top three issues concerning women's rights? What do you plan to accomplish to address these issues? And looking around this room, it looks like we represent society. We're about 50% women and 50% men in here. So let's hear what we have to say. Well, let me just say you're absolutely right. Uh, more than 50% of the women vote, more than 50% of the women are probably in this room. So I proudly answer this, not only in what I think, but what I've done. I think it's important for women to have the right of choice. I think it's important for women to have equal pay for equal work. I think it's important for us to make sure that we support the Fair Paycheck Act. I think it's important for us to have childcare. I think it's important for us to be able to know what they're paying our counterparts. You know why? Because white women still make less than their male counterparts, something to the tune of 79 cents on a dollar. African-American women make even less, and Hispanic women make even less than that. So pay equity bill. Many of you may know the name Lily Ledbetter. I called her and brought her into this district, not when I was in Congress, but when I found out about her plight. And she shared it with 50 leaders. She came back then to Congress when I was there. And that's why that was the very first bill that President Obama signed into law. And Nancy Pelosi signed it in again. Matter of fact, as the only woman who's ever been in second succession to run this country. Someone that I support in staying with. We have new laws in Congress now to keep us from sexual harassment, from putting things under the rug. And I am there on every one of them. You will find Joyce Beatty's fingerprint standing up for women and getting things done for women. We have when women succeed, America succeed. We took a bus across the country to talk about standing up for women. I was one of the first people with the Matriots, and I just heard that you were involved with that. They can endorse federal candidates, but you know what? Your group came to me to ask me to talk to them how they could get started because they stand with women to make sure that we're all standing with women. Thank you, Thank you very much. Uh, Candidate Harper, what do you think are the top three issues concerning women's rights and what do you plan to do to accomplish to address those issues? Yes, so I agree that we definitely need to protect a, a woman's right to choose, and I am glad that Representative Beatty mentioned equal pay. Women's economic insecurity is going, and already is, a very big issue in our community, given that we have 40% single parents. And if women aren't faring well economically, our children aren't faring well economically, they aren't ready to learn, and they're not going to be in a position to succeed. So many of the things that I'm talking about are also going to support women being able to earn more money, and that'll be important for everyone in our community, including children. So I'm just going to throw out sort of a wild follow-up. Uh, 
Here we go. Uh, I believe the Commonwealth of Virginia just finally was the last state to pass the ERA. Um, I'm just going to ask what the two of you think about do we still need the ERA, the Equal Rights Amendment? Representative Bain. Absolutely. The answer is yes. We still have too many disparities. We've heard the statistics that we both read and studied and presented. We still have racism. We still have disparities. We still need to have people stand up uh, for women's rights. Certainly we remember in, from our history in 1922 when they had the Women's Suffrage March. Black women weren't even allowed to march in. And thank goodness for 22 black women who took them on and marched at the back of the line, but those deltas still marched. We had women in 1964, when we talk about the Civil Rights Act in 1965, when we talk about the Voting Rights Act, if you lived in Mississippi, if you lived in Alabama, if you lived in North Carolina, I couldn't understand it why I could vote in Ohio and I had a first cousin that couldn't vote in the South and we were in the 60s. Thank Fast you very much. to now, we still have redlining, we still have those issues, and 51% of the women are heading the households and they still can't live, they still can't work, they still don't get equal pay, and they're still Thank discriminated you. against. Thank you. Candidate Harper? Do we still need the ERA? Yes, I believe we do. Uh, next question to candidate Harper. Uh, do you disagree with your party leadership? Will you let your view, oh, I'm sorry. If you disagree with your party leadership, will you let your views be known and how? We have a, a Democratic Party that is not prioritizing letting new voices enter. And that is at the county level, that is at the state level, that is at the federal level. And before I launched this campaign, I was told that I was gonna pay for it, that I wouldn't be able to get another job here, that this would be the end of me, because I believe that I had ideas that needed to be put on the table to address the issues that are happening in our community. That is a problem, right? So the fact that we even look around today that we had community groups that are organizing so that you get to hear about your choices, so that we have a conversation as a community about what are the policy ideas that we need to address everyone being able to live a stable life, that it took community members to get there, not our Democratic Party. So my entire race is a declaration that we must do better that we have to do better, that we are not going to accept a culture of retaliation that puts a small circle of people continuing to get ahead over the rest of us. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Let me go back. Representative Beatty, if you disagree with your party leadership, will you let your views be known and how? Let me first start by saying wrong is wrong, and that was wrong. You understand that while I'm running now, I remember my first race. I remember sitting there and everybody else was an elected official in that first race. And I was over there working with students at The Ohio State University. And I got in that race because I thought I was the best person. Now let me just tell you, I'm a strong Democrat. I don't have other handles attached to it. You know, I'm not a socialist. I'm not a, I'm a Democrat. 
but wrong is wrong. I have taken on my party leadership. Will you reject the endorsement that you received from the county party? Excuse me. So, so let me answer that. Let, 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 me, let, let, me, let me answer that. Let me answer that. I supported in an open seat for my own seat. And like you wrote to the party and said it should be no endorsement so the people could decide. In this, let me give you a little history since you weren't here. In the third congressional district, in the third congressional district, when the community thought that they could get an African American person for the first time, groups like this got together and they picked out of 12 of us and I got that endorsement from the people. Still, I imposed an endorsement because some of those same people who screamed, I felt like you. They ran anyway after they had given their promise that they would support the community. They didn't. They got in the race. Four of us ran. Now, I got the endorsement because I have a proven track record. What I hoped would have happened, I'm a mentor to people. I don't know you because you weren't here. We have mutual friends. You should have come to me and sat down and we could have worked together. But here's the other thing that happened. I got the endorsement. I got the endorsement because I, I, I need more time because I paused to let freedom of speech. No. I, I, no, let, no, let me no. just say, you said we get our ending you sentence. Get let me end sentence. So, so, so let, let me just say this. I have a proven, tested track record, but I chose to go through the screening process thinking I was going to get to do what you did here and we both would go. It was the youngest, it was the most diverse. I didn't know the people in the screening. What did I do? I took my whole portfolio. I later learned that you wrote a letter against your own party, that you, if you're running as a Democrat, against your own party about a process that was fair and against young millennials who we have tried to bring into this. Representative Beatty? That's why. I, 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 oh, no, 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 no. We're not going to have that here. Sorry. Remember, we started this off saying we are going to be polite. Everybody wants to hear what the candidates have to say. So let's keep it that way. We're going to move on to the next question. And this is for Representative Beatty. What do you think can be done to address the epidemic of gun violence in America? I don't think we have enough time for this. I have marched with students who demand gun violence reform. I have marched with moms against gun violence reform. I have written and actually passed legislation. I sat down on the House floor with John Lewis in a protest for 24 hours at the risk that I could lose my seat and it would have been worth it. When Michael Brown got killed, I went there and stood with nine other members of the Congressional Black Caucus. When nine people got shot over in my hometown, I went and sat in a church like this and talked to the mothers. I can tell you, we need to take these assault weapons off the streets. We need to continue the movements that we both fought for, getting people of all groups, rooms like this, to continue to do this. We need to make sure that we write letters and protest Senator McConnell, who won't pass our bills that are sitting over there. We are too silent on that issue. This is where we could join together all the movements because movements are the only thing that have made a difference. 
every day that I walk into the U.S. Congress, I go and I salute Shirley Chisholm's portrait. I go on that house floor and think of ways that I can take on anyone, whether they are friend or foe. You know why? Because I sat over there at the Linden Cafe with the nine mothers of the movement when I was running for Congress. And I brought in mothers in this community who had lost their children. You know what? I stopped standing up on the floor anymore for mass shootings because aren't our individual lives and deaths as important? We get too excited. When we hear about mass murders, we should care about single murders as well. Thank you. Candidate Harper, please tell us what you think can be done to address the epidemic of gun violence in America. I'm most focused on ending police violence, which is a major issue in our community. It's one, it's one that a lot of families have come to me begging for resolution and we're surprised to hear that there is something that we can do at the federal level. I've met with mothers, the mother, Henry Green, young men, black men in our community who are barely men, who were killed by the people who are supposed to be protecting us, who are supposed to be enforcing public safety. We just had a shooting last week, this past week, on the east side, Broaden James, a young teenager who was killed by the police. And we have to move past this idea that because you're not perfect, you somehow deserve to die. Through legislation, we can put an end to police violence. That's why we have on our platform that we are going to put an end to this by requiring data collection, requiring a community involvement in say to hold police accountable when these incidents occur and make sure that they are independent. Thank you, let me move on to our next question. And this is for candidate Harper. What, if anything, should we do to bring the nation's deficit under control and how would you accomplish that? We spend a lot of money at the federal level. I think most people here are probably aware of that. Uh, what we need to consider is what are we spending money on? And so I would say that we should stop spending money on wars that are traumatizing our young people against enemies that we aren't clear who they are and they go on and on and have dominated my entire adult life. I would also say that we need to stop giving corporate tax breaks. The corporate tax rate has decreased over 40% over the course of my lifetime. And we need to start putting money into what we know will matter into us, into our communities, making sure everyone has health care, making sure people are earning enough money to live and has housing, and that we're addressing the climate crisis. That is what we need to be spending money on. Thank you. Representative Beatty, what, if anything, should we do to bring the nation's deficit under control, and how would you accomplish that? First of all, let me not assume everybody knows. This is probably one of the most <coughs> complex things that we look at that should have a simple answer. We know right now that the deficit is almost a trillion dollars. We know each year the deficit keeps building and we have a 16.7 national debt. So what do we do? 
We repealed the tax cut to the 1% and that will give us about a trillion dollars. What do we do? I mentioned it earlier, so I'm glad my opponent said it. We end the wars, the war in Iraq. That would give us $1 trillion. We take a look at the budgets and we take all of the excess dollars away because you know what? We need those safety nets. So don't get confused when people start talking about trillions of dollars and telling you that we have to balance the budget. And yes, we do, but not on the backs of the folks in this room, not on the backs of the least of us. So I would fight that we stop the wars. I would also build on the other side, the livable wage, making sure that women have equal pay for equal work, making sure if we give everybody health care, they can go to work and stay there longer. Everybody that owns a business or is an employer or a boss knows how many times you have a big project and somebody calls in sick. And if they don't have insurance, they're home for that cold for five or six days or now, two weeks, versus being home and back if they had health insurance. Thank you. And associated with that is the next question. Representative Beatty, tell us your thoughts on the recent defense spending bill that was passed. Let me explain this because many of you have called about this. So let me just say to you, we have two budget votes. The budget votes had to happen by December the 20th so we wouldn't shut down the government. So on that day, when I went to the House floor, I'm an avid reader. I read the entire budget that week and then I made a conscious decision that I wanted to keep the government open. And the reason I did that I know people who work in government work from paycheck to paycheck. I know that there are more than 6,000 jobs here. I know that it put $13.5 million in there for civil rights for Emmett Till. I knew it put billions of dollars in there for the census. And we know if we don't fund the census, that we don't get those safety net services back in this community. I knew that there were dollars in there for cancer research and my mother had just died of cancer. I knew there was dollars in there that gave us humanitarian dollars. So we did caring versus caging children. I knew there was dollars in there that helped us fight for criminal justice. So you get my point? There were more than some 20 things and yes, there was something bad in that bill. $1.3 billion that the people in that committee put in there to help barriers in a wall. Not the $5 billion that the president asked for. So when you're a real leader, you make tough decisions. I don't get to vote for just what I want. So when I asked the people in this district, they said, keep the government open. They said, make sure we have all those services and safety net services for all of us. And here's the other thing, it's for three months. It's a CR. We have an opportunity to go back, but we got the money. The president was gonna take that 1.3 anyway. Every Democrat in Ohio voted with me and it passed overwhelmingly because it was Thank a you. vote for the people. Thank you. Candidate Harper, tell us your thoughts on the recent defense spending bill that was passed. When you have 
a maniac in charge of our country and control over our military spending, you don't add fuel to his fire and give him money to continue to enter military conflicts across this world. In three months, there's a lot we've seen, but there is a lot that can happen in three months with someone who has absolutely no respect for the rule of law. Three months where you are separated from your family with this racist immigration policy, there is a lot that can happen in three months that would not have voted for this bill. We have to do better than, than the standard of representation that we have in the state of Ohio. Thank you. Next question. find my place here. Uh, what needs to be done, and, and I will tell you, this is not a question that you saw in advance, so um, I would still be interested to hear what you have to say. What needs to be done to protect the security of our elections? And candidate Harper, you start. Well, part of it is making sure that it's very important that we respect the quality of the elections that we're protecting that. Part of that is making sure that people are educated about the process and that we are calling out when folks are doing things like purging and not letting our young people know that they need to engage and vote and that we have machines that are potentially being tampered with. So that's a very important issue. I would certainly be very focused on protecting the quality of vote. But I'm also really focused, and this is one of the great things about this election season, is that and grassroots movement building that we are educating people about the role they have to play in the political process to also see when these incidents are happening, participate in the political process and hold people accountable as well. Thank you. Representative Beatty, what needs to be done to protect the security of our elections? That is probably one of the most important things that we could talk about in relationship to elections. And again, here's where experience and leadership comes in. Because my opponent just said she supports that and she would vote on that. That was one of the major things in that defense spending bill that I voted on. There were millions and millions of dollars in there entitled protect your election security. You know why? Because we have been hacked into, we have a president of the United States who not only violated the Constitution, part of the reason that he is up for impeachment is because he did what the Constitution disallows you to do. For political gain, he got in bed with foreign dignitaries to help him in his election. And that put us in violation of our election security. So again, in that laundry list that I gave you, that was one of the top funding things in there so I can protect you. It's not just about Trump. It's about when you go and cast your vote on anything, whether it's for housing, for food, or for You want your information protected. You want to feel that you are voting and that you know that your vote counts and that it's not going to be manipulated and that a president of the United States can't negotiate with someone else about your right to vote. You are here today because you believe in the right to vote. You are here to hear from two candidates. You are here to help you hopefully make a decision. I have voted ever since I have been eligible. We should also ask people and candidates when you're out there, have they gone a period of 10 years and never voted? Have they missed the opportunity as a minority when we 
renew our vote in an election could be for a black president? I've done that. I'm not so sure, according to voting records, that my opponent has voted consistently and consecutively for a period of a decade. Thank you. We will have a time for both of the candidates to wrap up, to address some of these issues. One last question, and uh, this will go to Representative Beatty. Tell us your thoughts on the recent renewal of the Patriot Act. Again, the Patriot Act, Patriot Act will come back for us to vote on it. And certainly we need to end it. We all know the history of when it started, but again, in that concurrent resolution. It's so important that we sit up here and talk about jobs and opportunities and healthcare and funding. It was the same kind of mean-spirited thing that this president does. And until you vote and get him out of office, I voted because over six to 10,000 jobs in the third congressional district was in there because DSCC was in there. Do you know what it would be like if for 30 days, let me ask you, if unexpectedly because of my vote you didn't get your paycheck? I think most of you would be upset. So I took that vote for jobs. I took that vote to keep the government open. Think about how many veterans might be in this room. You would not have gotten your check Think about how many single moms are in here that was waiting on that government check, whether it was for child support or alimony. You would not have gotten that check. So when I tell you I stand up for the people and I'm fighting for you to give back, those same grandbabies we talked about, the same hard times your mother had, I was thinking about all of those folks when I cast that vote. Now the votes are hard and they're difficult, but when you are ready because you have a proven track record and you've been in the trenches like I am, you can be unapologetic about standing up for the people because I have been there, I have been in the fight and I want to continue to bring my passion, my skills, my knowledge and stand up for you every time. Thank you. Candidate Harper. Please tell us your thoughts on the recent renewal of the Patriot Act. I'm pushing for a vision where we don't have to compromise our civil liberties and discriminate against people in our community in order to earn enough money to live. Thank you. So that gets us through our questions. We will move to closing statements. Before we get there, the one thing I want to say is if anything is clear today, it is that we all need to be voting. We all need to encourage our friends, family, relatives. Go vote. So what I can tell you is we have registration, voter registration forms at the back. We will also have clipboards at the back where people can volunteer, sign up to volunteer to help get the vote out to help go out and talk to people about why their vote is so important. So please sign up and help us. A lot of us have been doing a lot of work already, but we need a lot more people to get this done. 
So I'm going to turn and we're going to have our final statements. We had said we limited them to a minute. I'm going to expand that to two minutes because we've covered a lot of material today. You don't have to. I'm just going to, once again, I'm throwing stuff at you. So we're going to start with candidate Harper and then Representative Beatty. Thank you. And thank you all for attending. I really appreciate it. I want them to have the last word. There are three things that to me are undeniable. That we have a community that is full of great, hardworking people who really, really care that everybody living here gets a fair shot. Two, that we have built a movement. <laughs> we call it organized. It's not just a clever catchphrase. It is an idea that we all need to be engaging in this political process, and everybody coming out here today is doing it. Everyone that has come out to one of our community events that we're having all over the city is doing it. People that are following us on social media are doing it. They are sending a message that we are over our communities and our lives being compromised by the overwhelming influence of corporate money in politics. Third point, I'm ready to lead. And I have been training my whole life studying policy, working as a lawyer, working in Washington, to do what is necessary to make sure that we realize that vision of everyone getting a fair shot together. We can get there. I agree with you. Vote and vote for me. Thank you.
we created a new lane and called it infrastructure. This is ETC by us. On one hand, you have the archive a subscription-based curated database and network which contains detailed information on creatives and happenings on an exclusively local level. You have the Creative Consultant Brokerage, a service streaming division which provides holistic solutions for creative individuals and groups. Future forward thinking, we have ETC by A-Keys, our nonprofit division. This awards creatives funding, resources, and assistance to achieve their goals. And here's what it means to be a part of the infrastructure. For creatives, a centralized location that serves as a digital encyclopedia archiving your content and history. A reliable distribution system that connects you with the consumers that want to know what's going on in the creative community. A platform that supports your projects in meaningful and intentional ways. And down the line access to corporate funding from community partners. For consumers, we offer the answer to the question, what's happening in my city? Who are the people adding to the culture and how can I support? By giving access to special deals and exclusive content and merchandise brought to you with an ease of consumption. To the culture, we offer infrastructure, an organized system that makes navigating the city easier than it's ever been because telling our story and documenting the narrative of Columbus is important work and we can't do it alone. So tap into local with ETC. Visit us on Instagram at etc.by.us and Twitter at the ETC by us or head on over to our newly revamped website at etcbyus.com.